Dear friends in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves on the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and this is where we see an important battle between our Lord Jesus Christ and the devil. The people have lost and lost and lost against the devil, and now our great champion is coming on the scene in order to fight for us and to win where we cannot win. As we think about temptations, they are in our lives every moment of every day. And what are they trying to do? They are trying to pull us into sin. They are trying to pull us away from our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the sermon today, we're going to take a look at what happened when our Lord Jesus Christ went up against the devil and learn from him how we can better deal with temptation in our own lives. Thinking about where we're at in the life of Jesus, keep in mind that he had those years growing up where for the most part, we didn't hear much about what was going on in his life, but then he is anointed with the Holy Spirit by God the Father. He officially becomes the Messiah, the Christ, and then the Bible tells us that immediately after that, he is led out into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. What was the idea of that? Well, he went out there to be our perfect substitute, to defeat the devil, to destroy his work. Think about it like this before we get into the text. We heard earlier in the Old Testament reading that Adam and Eve, they were tempted and then they fell. And then we think many years later after that, about 2,500 years later, we see the chosen people of Israel. What happens to them? They are tempted and they fell. So what happens now with our Lord Jesus Christ? Who is he? The Bible calls him the second Adam. Or maybe we could call him the ultimate Israel. So we're all of the people have failed and all of the people have become deserving of eternal punishment. Now he's coming in order to do battle against the devil. Think about it like this. The son of God in human flesh, maybe he looked like an ordinary man, but no ordinary man at all. The very son of God. So he was fully tempted, but he did not fall and he ultimately crushed our greatest enemy. Let us greatly rejoice in that. We come now to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 11. And in this first section here, we're going to focus on this reality that was true for Jesus, and hopefully it's true for us as well, that we're always putting the spiritual before the physical putting the spiritual before the physical. Picking up in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. Kind of unusual what it says there, isn't it? If I missed one meal, I would be hungry. He went for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he became hungry. Well, he is the very Son of God in human flesh. But think about what's going on here. We have the powerful, deceiving, fork-tongued devil, 
and he has deceived and defeated the entire human race, and now the physically hungry Son of God, he's about ready to do battle with the devil. It doesn't seem like a fair fight in a way, does it? He's been weakened after 40 days of not eating. Maybe it's like being in a fist fight, maybe with one arm tied behind your back, or maybe with two arms tied behind your back. It would be difficult, but keep in mind, though, Jesus is, again, the Son of God in human flesh. The Bible goes on and says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, What is the devil trying to do? Get him maybe to doubt he is the son of God and also cause him to want to prove that he is the son of God. It's kind of in the background. It's a subtle thing. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Try to imagine Jesus in his extreme physical hunger. And then think about how he is the Son of God. He could have easily turned the stones into bread. Can you even imagine when Satan suggested it, did his mouth begin to water thinking, oh, those stones turned into bread are going to taste so good. He is a human being too, so he could have had those kinds of reactions. However, though, what did he refuse to do? He refused to abandon his trust in his Father in heaven. So he continued to rely on his Father in heaven to provide him with physical food rather than taking it into his own hands and saying, I can do it. I can do this on my own. I'll take the stones. I'll turn them into bread. I will eat them. That's the lesson for us. The devil keeps tempting us to trust in ourselves, to stop trusting in our Father in heaven. Jesus was tempted, but he did not fall. May God help us as well. You can see the note here at the bottom. Let us weigh spiritual things more heavily and always trust in our heavenly Father. That's not normal, that's not natural, but those things are best. Coming to our second part here, we're dealing with the topic of promises. Going to verse 5, the Bible says, Then the devil took Jesus into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. On the pinnacle of the temple. Did you notice the image there on the front of the folder today? So you can see the temple in the background. The image in white is Jesus. And then can you see that giant ominous image behind Jesus who is the devil himself? So he's taken him up to the pinnacle of the temple. How high are we talking about? We believe that the pinnacle of the temple was about 14 stories high. It's amazing that the temple was such a grand structure, but imagine 14 stories high. And what does the devil say to Jesus? Again, he says to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, God will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
That is a promise that God the Father has made regarding his son. That promise is there. Does Jesus need to jump in order to prove the promise? Let me go in a little bit different direction here for just a moment. So how many promises are there in the Bible that God has made to people? How many promises in the Bible has God made to people? I was wondering, so I looked it up on Google the other day, and there's a man named Everett Storms, and he was wondering the same thing. So he took a year and a half reading through his Bible, and he read through it specifically for the purpose of finding and noting down every promise that God has made to people. How many? He counted 7,487 promises that God has made to people. Now, how can we know that those promises are true? Do we need to get going and test out those 7,487 promises? By no means, simply because they are recorded in God's holy word, we simply know they are true. What about Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple? Did he have to jump in order to see if that promise was true? By no means. He knows the word of God is true. God wants us to know the same. So what did Jesus do? He said to the devil, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When we think about what's going on here, the devil seems to know the weakness of Jesus when he said to him, hey, turn these stones into bread. He must have known that he had not eaten for quite a long time, so that would be a great temptation. Does the devil know everything? No, he doesn't. He is not God. But he does seem to know sometimes what our weaknesses are, and certainly he knows the Bible well, and he knows how to take the Bible and to twist it or to pervert it in such a way that we can be led into it thinking, oh, this is a biblical thing. I can go in this direction, and yet it's not a right way of dealing with the Bible, and therefore it is pulling us into sin even though we don't even know it. So what is vital for us? It's vital for us to be more like Jesus by growing up in better understanding the Bible. And once we better understand it and we know it well, then we can use it as our spiritual sword as we do battle with the spiritual forces of evil. Like I noted here at the bottom, Christians believe and they grow up in the Bible. We are claiming to be Christians. We know we have sin. God has made us sorry. God has given us trust in Jesus. We are claiming to be Christians, so it's important that we grow up in the Bible. Can you imagine if I baptized an infant here at Bethlehem, let's say 20 years ago, and then we didn't see that family for a long time, and they showed back up in the congregation and were like, oh, God has blessed you with another baby. And they're like, oh no, this is the baby we had 20 years ago. Wouldn't that be like so odd? The natural thing is, physically, we grow up. Spiritually, it should be the natural thing. Certainly, it is the best thing when we grow up in the Word of God. May God help us in that way. 
And then we come to the final part here. And in this final part, maybe we could ask ourselves this question, who has my ear? Am I listening to the lies of the devil or am I listening to God's word of truth? Going to verse 8, the text says, Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. What was the devil trying to do? He was trying to tempt Jesus to take the easy way out. I was a little bit shocked when I looked this up the other day, but boy, our nation is in trouble. Now, I knew that before I looked this up, but I discovered, though, that last year a poll was taken and 60% of college students admit that they cheat. So they are cheating to get a good score on a test. They are cheating to write a, a required paper. They are cheating in various ways. And if 60% admitted to it, how many probably did? Maybe 70, 80, 90% were cheating. And sadly, only 5% of them got caught cheating. So not much of a deterrent from cheating. What were they trying to do? They were trying to take the easy way out in order to get a passing grade on a test, on a paper, in a course. But that was a sinful, easy way to get what they were hoping for. That's exactly what the devil is laying out here for Jesus. He's trying to say to him, take the easy way out. Forget the agony of the cross. You don't have to go through all of that. Simply bow down, worship me, and you'll have everything you were hoping for. What does the Bible say? Jesus said to Satan, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God does not want us to take the easy way out. He doesn't want us to cheat like the college students. He wants us to know that he has a plan and his way is best. And it might not be easy, but it's going to be the very best thing. Now, when we think about the devil, he is a very great angel, maybe even the greatest of all the angels. Of course, he is a very great evil angel. We should not worship him. What about a holy angel? Maybe we should worship a holy angel. Maybe that would be okay. Well, you guys know better. In Revelation 22, John wrote, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Think about all the amazing, amazing things that this angel had shown to John. What an awesome angel. John goes to worship him. And what happened? When he did that, the angel said to him, do not do that, worship God. Do not do that, worship God. We have such a great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us worship only him. Who are we? What are we? We are people who deserve the worst, but in Christ, we have the best. We are forgiven, we are saved, 
We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are members of the kingdom of God. We have eternal life now. One day we're going to have the fullness of eternal life in God's presence. Because we have all these great blessings, what should we do? Well, let us worship and serve only the one true God. That's going to bring him glory, and that's going to be a blessing to us now and forever. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you know we are tempted by the devil. We are tempted by the fallen world in which we live, and we are also tempted by our own sinful natures. Therefore, we pray that you would equip us with God's truth. We pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would grant us a strong desire to glorify God in our lives, and we pray that you would move us to always see and take the way of escape whenever we are tempted. In your holy name we pray. Amen.